will, stand with me all over the room today. I'm going to read um, eight verses of Scripture uh, out of the book of uh, Philippians chapter 1. And um, we're going to read these eight verses this morning in the, uh, the CSB version, the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, I love the wording of this particular passage of Scripture here, and uh, I want you to allow it to, to speak to you, minister to you today. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Paul said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that, because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven... Live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents, this is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. I want to preach to you this morning a message the Lord has given me. Uh, I've just simply titled One Thing. If you will, pray with me and for me this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be together. Thank you for every precious person, Lord, that's assembled in this sanctuary today and those that are uh, joining us and watching and listening and worshiping online. Father, I pray for the next few moments you would remove every hindrance that would distract from this service and that, God, you would anoint these lips of clay that I would not speak my words or even uh, with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but that, Father, it would be your word that would come forward today and it would come forth in the power and in the demonstration of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would anoint every ear to hear and, God, every heart to receive. And, Lord, help every one of us to evaluate our own selves this this morning, Lord, and see where we stand in the faith. God, I pray that you would speak to us today about one thing, Lord, that is so important to you. And Father, we just thank you in advance for what you're going to do in and through your word today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Nicholas. The one particular church problem that the Philippians faced was the threat of disunity. And Paul urges them to do just one thing. Say one thing. One thing. And that is to live their lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he proceeds to define for them what that means. When every individual member of the body lives their life worthy of the gospel of Christ, he tells them that whether he is there, whether Paul is there or not, they will be found standing firm. United in one spirit, as one body, or as one man, if you will, in their battle of the faith. And everybody knows that our battle of the faith is battle for truth. Can I get a witness this morning? For truth and absolutes of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this united front, Paul is telling them, will enable them to resist the influence of those who oppose them. How many knows there are those who definitely oppose the church today? Can I get a witness this morning? I mean, you can go on Facebook and you can say anything. I'm not going to get too political, but I am going to say this. You can say anything you want to on one side of the aisle. Are you with me today? And you're fine. But you say anything on the other side of the aisle or you get too scripturally correct and you'll get put in Facebook jail. Anybody ever been in Facebook jail this morning? Yeah, I see hands all over the room. Yeah, I know Dustin has. Lord have mercy. We all know Dustin has. Thank you, Jesus. But anyway, this morning, uh, I'm just giving him a hard time. But it's the truth. Uh, and there is always going to be that force that opposes the church, that tries to silence the church, that tries to hush the church up and to 
faithfully, for us to faithfully preserve the true faith of Christ. And Paul is telling them that their faithful, united preservation of the truth will prove to be their salvation while it will also signal their opposer's destruction in God's judgment. Because can I tell you, one of these days, the judgment of God is coming to this world. Do you hear me? And so here we find this church at Philippi battling for the one thing that is the greatest asset to any church, and that is unity. Say unity. When the whole church comes together as one, that's what unity is. Because the enemy knows the greatest threat to his kingdom and the greatest advancement to the kingdom of God is when God's people put all of their personal agendas aside, put all, it's quiet up in here this morning, put all of their personal preferences aside, and they come together with one common purpose in a spirit of unity. Say unity. Because powerful things happen. I need you to hear me this morning because I believe with all of my heart that in this church we are on the brink of a breakthrough like unto something we have never seen in our almost nine year history. I believe God is about to blow the walls out of this place. Why? Because we have a community around us of people that are dying and going to hell. We have churches that are full this morning. Wait a minute for you clap because you might disagree with what I'm about to say. We have churches this morning that are full of people that are saying they worship God. They are saying they love God but they have not been regenerated by the power of God. Why? Why? Because they will not embrace the truth of the gospel. And I believe that we are on the brink of that this morning. And so the enemy knows that the greatest asset for any church and the greatest thing that will, that will put the enemy at bay is when we come together with one common purpose in a spirit of unity. Powerful things happen in God's church when we are unified. Consider with me the day of Pentecost. And I know we have a lot of people uh, that the Lord has sent here that uh, your history is not Pentecostal. That's perfectly fine. As a matter of fact, you know what? I love seeing that. I do. I love seeing that. You know why? Because I was one of you. And when I was one of you, I thought those of like me were crazy. They posted something on Facebook yesterday uh, about directing a choir and said that uh, that was, uh, well, actually, Janelle tagged Nicholas in it, and Nicholas said it was Pastor Sean on steroids. And Riley Dale said he hoped that Nicholas would do that today. But then when you watch me worship, that's just the way I worship. I said, that's just the way I worship. You might think I'm crazy, but you just hold on if you haven't experienced what I've experienced. You just keep coming if you haven't tasted of what I've tasted of. But consider the day of Pentecost. The word said in Acts chapter 2, a lot of you could even quote the scripture almost. But it said, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, say all, with one accord. Did you catch that? There was unity. They were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly, say suddenly. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them. That's all of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Do you know why this day in Scripture is so important? Because that day was the birth of the early church as we know it. That particular day was the birth of the early church as we know it. That was in Acts chapter 2. But then if you go on to Acts chapter 16, Paul and some of his ministry friends were preaching the gospel in a city where there was no established church. It was the city 
of Philippi, which we just read about this morning. But there was a lady there by the name of Lydia. And she was originally from the city of Thyatira. And the Bible said that as she was sitting there in that meeting that day, she listened and she responds. And she becomes known as a worshiper of God. You know what? I'd love for that to be my title. People might think that that I worship maybe a little more enthusiastically than they would prefer, but I don't care as long as I'm known as a worshiper of God. As long as when I leave this world, people can honestly say about me, that guy loved the Lord. That guy worshiped the Lord. That guy served the Lord. I want to tell you, that's worth more than leaving this world with millions in the bank. When you leave this world with a legacy that people know you, they know the faith that you stand for. See, that's the problem in the church today. A lot of people want to go to church and keep it inside the four walls. What we're missing is it's outside of these walls where they need to know somebody who loves the Lord, who serves the Lord, and is not ashamed of God and the power of God. And so anyway, the Bible said that she listened and responded and she became known as a worshiper of God. And before long, her whole household believed and was baptized. I thank God that we baptized nine people last Sunday. That's awesome. Lydia's house, though, her house, becomes the site for the church at Philippi. And you thought we had humble beginnings. With her as its host, and perhaps from what we can tell and what Bible theologians can tell from Scripture, even as its leader. Because there's no other leader mentioned in the Bible when this church is established except Lydia. And so the Philippian church began to grow. And as they began to grow, great things took place. And the Bible records this uh, as the church where Paul and his followers were when they exercised a demon from a fortune-telling slave girl. Paul and Silas were imprisoned as a result of that particular event when they cast that demon out. But this was also the church that united in prayer for Paul and Silas. And most of us know how when Paul and Silas were in prison, God brought an earthquake that shook the prison from its foundation, uh, broke the stocks of Paul and Silas and set them free. And as a result of that event, the Philippian jailer then was in awe. And he asked Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, last week we had somebody, I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm always transparent. We had a lot of visitors here to see people be baptized and a lot of people I didn't see uh, when I was preaching. Um, and uh, I, I don't know why, because I can see all of you right now, but a lot of them I just didn't even notice last week. People that were here, and while I was preaching, and I'm not ashamed of it, but the Spirit of the Lord hit me, and I know I was speaking in tongues while I was preaching at one point, but as those people was going out the door and I didn't see that they had been here, and I was shaking hands I thought Lord have mercy I know they probably think I'm crazy but you know what before Wednesday even came I got a report about one of those individuals that was here and you know what somebody said somebody said I think people are hungry for somebody that preaches the truth of the gospel the way they believe it and when they experience that and they experience the power and the presence of God that makes it more real for them did you hear me God help us to be a church that would people come in they feel the realness they feel the authenticity and they know the legitimacy of the power and the presence of God because it's that power and that presence that changes lives and so the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas sirs what must I do to be saved so as a result of the establishment of the church at Philippi and the work that's being done in and through that church, the jailer at the city jail gets saved. And guess what happens after that? Everybody in his house gets saved after him. Do you know that statistics, dads, show that when the dad goes to church, 94% of the time, the rest of the family goes with him. When the mom gets saved and goes to church, only 62% of the time does the rest of the family go with them. When this Philippian jailer got saved, the Bible said everybody in his house got saved. Why? Because powerful things happen when the church comes together in unity.
Listen, we cannot afford to take the power of unity for granted. Let me say that again. We cannot afford to take the power of unity for granted. We are many members, but one body. I love the fact that this church is made up from people from all walks of life and all denominations. We have Episcopalians and Catholics and Presbyterians and Methodist and Baptist and Christian and Church of Christ and Pentecostal and Church of God and Baptist and almost anything you can imagine that goes here. What brings us together? One common thing. And that's our love for Jesus Christ and His presence and His power. We cannot afford to take unity for granted. We share one faith, one Lord, and one baptism. Listen. We're all for one and one for all. Let me say this while I'm at it. I want you to love your church. I want you to love your church better than any other church. But I want you to be for other churches. Because when we all win, the kingdom wins. This is not about an individual church or an individual ministry, or an individual denomination. This is about the kingdom of God, and we are one for all, all for one. And I don't care if everybody else has that attitude or not. If we have that attitude, God will bless us, and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So the greatest challenge that we face is the greatest challenge the church at Philippi face, and that's the danger of disunity. That's why Paul said, wait just a minute, just one thing. He said, one thing, live your lives worthy of the gospel, standing firm in one spirit, one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by those who would come against you. This is a sign of their own destruction, but it's also a sign of your salvation, and it's from God, because powerful things happen when God's people come together in unity. Let me share some scriptures with you this morning very quickly. First of all, Psalm 133 and 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. 1 Corinthians 1 and 10 in the Christian Standard Bible. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say. Have you ever tried to get people to agree? All of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 in the Christian Standard Bible. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. That's the five-fold ministry. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach what? Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Can I tell you this morning, your maturity is measured by your, by your ability to have unity. Let me say that again. Your maturity is measured by your ability to have unity. Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil. Hear this this morning, or insult for insult, but on the contrary, given a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. You know what really makes the devil mad when somebody comes at you and you just say bless you? Because if, if you come at me and I say bless you, you probably won't slap me. Because it makes the devil really mad. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Anybody struggle for patience this morning? 
bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 12. Also, the power of God was at work in Judah to do what? To unite them, to carry out the command of the king and his officials by the word of the Lord. And last but not least, Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. The one thing that Paul wanted the church at Philippi to remember is the one thing that we have been saying around here ever since this church began. Some of you can quote it with me, and that is, we are better together. We've been saying that since we started. I don't want you to ever forget that. Did you hear me this morning? Don't ever forget that. We need each other. Did you hear me? I need you and you need me. Listen, I'm not perfect. Y'all missed a good chance to shout right there. I'm not perfect and y'all aren't perfect either. None of us are perfect. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The one thing that we've been saying is we are better together. Listen to me this morning. Two are better than one. You know what the word said? The word said one can put a thousand demons to flight. You know why it's important that you look over uh, Maybe seeing something differently than somebody else. Do you know why it's important that you look over your personal preferences and somebody else looks over their personal preferences? You know why it's important? It's because one can put a thousand to flight, but this book tells me two can put ten thousand to flight. So if you do the math, that means three could put a hundred thousand to flight and four could put a million to flight. There's only about twelve thousand people, a little less than that actually. Actually, in the city of Corbin, if you talk about the city limits, I wonder what would happen if we ran out a million devils from the city of Corbin. We'd have thousands of people getting saved, getting baptized, getting filled with the Spirit of God. Because powerful things happen when the church comes together in unity. And as the Lord began to speak to me this week, the words, one thing, one thing. Continually rang in my ears. And I got to share this with you because I love when the Holy Spirit gives confirmation. I got a text. I've been on the state youth board now for too long. Praise the Lord. I, my term limit was up two years ago when COVID hit. And so we didn't have a minister's meeting. So we didn't have an election. So I'm still on there. And pray for me. I'll be working youth camp again this summer. But anyway, our state youth director... Bishop David White, who just moved here from California. We just got him last August, I believe. And uh, he texts me this week. Listen, this is, confirm this is how God works. As a matter of fact, let me just pull it up if I can find it real quick. And I'll read it to you. Uh, he had no idea what God was uh, speaking to me or what I was going to preach this week or anything. He just saw my posts on Facebook. And him and Bishop already knew that I was going to be going full time. And listen what he said. He said... Congrats, bro, on taking the leap this week into, and he put quotation marks, one thing, period, in quotation marks. He said, I did it in August, and it's been so refreshing and refocused, very happy for you. But I read that, and I saw those quotation marks in one thing, and I already had this sermon uh, underway. And as the Lord began to speak to me this week, the words, one thing, continually rang in my ears. And as I began to search the scriptures, and this is what I'm going to close with uh, this morning for the next few moments, I, I began to find a few more occurrences of one thing that I want to share with you this morning. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write these down. Number one, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. This was said by Jesus to a rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 21. It said, and as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Now listen, if Jesus asked this question, y'all definitely don't need to be thinking we're any good. But he asked him, he said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. Watch this. Looking at him. Jesus loved him. This is what I love about Jesus. And this is sometimes where I struggle. And I want to be more like Jesus. Jesus loved him. And said to him, I love you. But sometimes if I shoot straight with you, you have a hard time discerning that I love you. How many knows what I'm talking about? I do love you. But Jesus looked at him and the word said Jesus loved him. And he said to him, watch this. You lack what? One thing. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. See, this young man had kept all the commandments. He knew how to look the part. Are you with me this morning? He knew how to play the part. He knew how to put his church face on. Can I get a witness? Some of y'all fight like, here we go. Fight like cats and dogs on Sunday morning trying to get ready. And you, get, you pull up in the parking lot and you're like, oh, good morning. How are you today? Bless you. And your children are thinking, hypocrite. <laughs> it's the truth. We all know it's the truth. We know how to put the church face on. We know how to play the part. That's basically what he's saying here. But Jesus said, there's one thing you lack. And I ask you today, for this one, it was his money. That's the case for some. But I ask you all today, what's the one thing? What's the one thing that's keeping you from being fully devoted to Jesus? What's the one thing that's hindering you from a deeper walk with him? I would submit to you that almost every single one of us in this room today, myself included, can identify one thing that we lack. Whatever that is for you, take note of that this morning. Number two, one thing you need. This was said by Jesus to Martha in Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 38. It said, while they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You're worried and upset about many things. But what? One thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice. And it will not be taken away from her. See, Martha was all up in arms feeling like she's the only one doing everything. And she was all up in arms over that. You know what that tells me? I need you to hear me this morning because we're about to have Surf Sunday around here in two weeks. But I need you, those of you that, that have been serving and that are faithful to serve, I need you to understand something this morning. Martha was encumbered by her own service. Do you hear me? Sometimes we can, I myself have become encumbered before by my own service. If we're not careful, we'll get busy Trying to build the kingdom of God without the precepts of the king. Are you with me this morning? Mary was putting everything else aside and she was taking time to listen to what the Lord had to say about it. That is a sermon in and of itself. Mary was relaxing and she was taking it all in. But Martha was so on edge and she was so aggravated because Mary wasn't on edge. Sometimes the devil gets upset if he can't get you upset. Are you with me this morning? Jesus said, Martha, you are upset and you're worried about many things but there's one thing that you need Martha and that is get your priorities in order make the right choice. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying when we serve, we, we have a thing around here that we call sit one, serve one. Now, that doesn't work real well for a lot of people that are in here for the service, for worship and for media and for lighting and all that. It might would if we had enough volunteers, but most of the time it doesn't work as well for them. But most of those people really kind of sit two and serve two. They hear the message twice and they play and they worship twice. But for all the rest of us, we have a thing called 
called Sit One, Serve One. That's if you're serving in NPK or serving in ESM or serving as a greeter or serving at the Welcome Center or wherever you may be serving, that at least you sit a service in addition to the service that you serve. Why do we do that? Because let me tell you something this morning. You cannot pour out into somebody else unless you have been poured into yourself. We got too many people in the church world that are trying to fill people up, but they themselves are empty vessels. Are you with me this morning? You need somebody to pour into you so that you can pour into somebody else. But when God's people come together in unity and we get poured into until we're overflowing and bubbling over, we can go out and fill this vessel, pour a little in this vessel, pour a little in this vessel, and before you realize it, they're coming back. You know why? Because they want some more of what you poured into them. So Jesus is saying you got to get your priorities in order. you got to make the right choices. So I ask you today, how could you prioritize better that would stop robbing you of the time that you need with God? Because we all need time with God. I would submit to you that the one thing that we all need is more time with God. And for each of us, there's something in our lives that's robbing that from us. What is that that's robbing you of more time with God? Number three, there's only five. One thing I know. This was said by a blind man who was healed in response to questions about who healed him. John chapter 9, verse 19. They asked them, is this your son? The one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know this is our son that was born blind, his parents answered. Listen to this. But we don't know how he now sees. Now that was not true. And we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Anybody ever been thrown under the bus? Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because... His parents said these things. Why? Because they were afraid of the Jews. Since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They were talking about Jesus. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know is I was blind and now I can see. Listen, this addresses the need above any other answer that we might have to have met and encountered Jesus for ourselves. This guy said, one thing I know. I don't know about anything else. Why do you think the Apostle Paul said, I'm determined to preach, uh, to know nothing else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This guy said, I don't know about anything else, but one thing I do know is I was blind, but right now I can see. One thing I know this morning is I was lost, but Jesus found me. I was a sinner, but Jesus forgave me. I was sick at one time in my life, but Jesus healed me. I needed a miracle, and Jesus performed that miracle. Listen, all of us this morning can identify with at least One or more situations in our lives that we know the outcome was nothing short of the hand of God. Anybody know of one of those? Nothing short of the hand of God. We can take you to the time and the place when it looked hopeless. It looked hopeless. But God. But God came on the scene and he turned it around. For some of you this morning, that miraculous event in your life just just came to your remembrance right then when I said that. And you know that you know that you know that it was God who did it. One thing I know this morning, it was God who did it. Number four, one thing I ask. This was said by King David right in the middle of such suffering in his life. Psalms chapter 27 verse 4. What's it say? One thing. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David knew and he understood the key thing that was needed to navigate through the sea of life. And that was to stay in the house of the Lord. Did you hear me this morning? Stay in the house of the Lord. The old timers would say it like this. Stay in the boat. How many's ever heard that? Because when you're facing the troubled sea of life, the old ship of Zion is the only thing that will navigate you to safety. If you go overboard, you're going to perish. If you try any other vessel that he's not the captain of, listen to me this morning, destruction lies just ahead. Noah's ark was also a picture. We talked about Noah's ark last week. It was a picture of the safety that is guaranteed for those who are on board with the church. Now, I want you to think about it this morning. Let me say what I just said again. Noah's Ark is a picture of the safety that is guaranteed for those who are on board with the church. But think about it this morning. That Ark wasn't perfect. No church, no church is perfect. If you've come from another church this morning looking for a new church, if God's leading and directing you, we pray that, that you're here and this is your church. But let me, sir, let me go ahead and give you open disclosure right now. No church is perfect. We all got our own fair share of issues. You know what I told Karen in the office one day? We were dealing with a situation. <laughs> this is going to be great. All y'all going to wonder which one of you it was. But it really wasn't. I don't really think it was one of you all. It, 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 I don't think it was. Anyway. Anyway. I, we were both just kind of like, well, what do you do with that? She's like, that's kind of, that's kind of crazy. I said, you know what? I've come to realize all of us up in here has got our own little share of cray cray. You ever thought about that? Come on now, be honest. Y'all like the lights turned down for worship. You mean turn them down right now so you can agree with me? Because y'all sitting there like you're frozen. We've all got our own little share of cray cray. That stuff that gets right under my fingernails just, just irritates the life out of me. That don't bother some of y'all. But some of the things that I do, y'all are like, I love him. He preaches the word, but he makes me want to slap him sometimes. Or pinch his head off. I've heard that one. I've actually heard that one before. I'd like to pinch your head off. I was like, well, bless you. We talked about that earlier. Anyway, I'm getting off the, I'm getting off the subject. But the ark wasn't perfect, folks. No church is perfect. No leader is perfect. There were, think about this, there were two of every kind of animal that you can think of on board that ark with Noah and his family for 40 days and 40 nights. Are you with me? The door didn't get opened 40 days and 40 nights. I live in a concentration camp with a Nazi. I love my Nazi. She's going to kill me after church for saying that, I'm sure. But anyway. Well. I, we got to have this, these little bitty cans of air freshener in the bathroom. Anybody with me this morning? When you get done using the bathroom, you got to spray that little thing before you go out of there. Anybody with me? Pastor, why on earth are you telling us that this morning? It's always got to smell good up in there. Are you getting a picture with me of what that ark must have smelled like? Two of every kind of animal you can imagine for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm making a point this morning. I'm sure the smell was far less than desirable most of the time. I'm sure the space was cramped. I'm going somewhere with this. I know that was funny, but I'm going somewhere. I'm sure the space was cramped and uncomfortable for much of the voyage for 40 days and 40 nights. We get snowed in for two days and, and think we're losing our minds, right? 40 days and 40 nights without the door being open to that boat. I'm sure the animals became agitated from their confinement. Listen, Angie just got, y'all know about that. We, we're getting empty nest syndrome around our house, so we just got another little fur baby. 
And uh, his name is Bo. He's a cockapoo. He's cute as he can be, but he's really, really hyper. And Bentley is a toy poodle who thinks he's a human that is nine human years old, 63 dog years old. He's never been around another dog in his life. He cannot discern that that little black furball is not trying to attack him every time it comes near him. He's quite mean. He gets quite agitated. He snaps. He growls. He barks. He warns him to stay away. I'm sure on that ark after 40 days and 40 nights, I can only imagine those animals going at each other, tired of those confined spaces, tired of being cramped in. I'm sure Noah and his family, some of y'all will help me on this one, weren't sweet to each other from time to time in, during that 40 days in that in 40 nights. They might have even had some words with each other, some disagreements, and they became frustrated with each other to the point, stay with me this morning, to the point of wanting to walk away or possibly even trying to get off of that boat. But there was just one problem. Hear your pastor this morning. There was just one problem. That ark might have smelled bad. It might have sometimes been uncomfortable. It might have gotten aggravating and frustrating and less than desirable at times. But at the end of the day, I'm about to preach up in here. That ark was the only thing that was floating. You hear your pastor this morning. Stay in the boat. Stay in the church. It might get dirty. It might get cramped. It might get smelly. It might get aggravating. It might get frustrating. You may not see it eye to eye with everybody. But stay in the boat. Because the old ship of Zion is going to sail safely. Safely. I came to tell you this morning. It may not be perfect. It might get uncomfortable. But the good old gospel ship has already stood the test of time. And it's the only thing to get you to safety. David said, one thing, say one thing. One thing have I asked from the Lord, and that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. One thing I ask, let me stay in your house. And as they come to the music this morning, number five. One thing I must do. This was said by Paul in relation to his past and his future. I'm going to try to help somebody with this today. Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but watch this. One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press. Say press. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature, there's that word again, think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's just as true today as it was then. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. I could stop right there and preach a whole sermon. waiting on the Lord to tell me whether to do it or not do it. They glory in their shame. There's a church world out there today that put things out there in your face that I was raised up to shun and to not partake in, to not participate in. Are you with me this morning? I don't know if you are or not. There is still a standard of holiness for God's people. It's not how long your hair is. It's not whether or not you wear makeup. 
It's not whether or not you wear jewelry. It's not how long your skirts are. It's not whether or not you have facial hair or wear shorts in the summer. We do all of those things. That's not holiness. But you know what holiness is? Holiness is a condition of the heart. And when your heart is right, you won't put things that otherwise are known as shameful and make a boastful thing about them that you're walking in some kind of newfound freedom in the name of Jesus. Are you with me this morning? Where sin, I'm about to preach a sermon I didn't plan on preaching up in here. Paul said, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. But he went on to say, so should we use grace as an excuse to sin? God forbid. That's what Paul said. I would to God that we had some people in the church who would raise up a standard once again of holy, righteous living. We're all going to fall. We're all going to make mistakes. But there's a difference in you boasting in your sin. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. Somebody's probably going to get upset at me. I could, I could do a whole list of them. I'll start with this one. There was a girl that used to come to church here, and I love her dearly. She was a part of the worship team. She left over something we never could figure out. She went somewhere else and became a part of the worship team. As far as I know, she's still a part of the worship team. She got pregnant out of wedlock. On the worship team, never sat down. Some of y'all looking at me with like I got four eyes. Never sat down. Listen, the last time I checked, this Bible says fornication is a sin. God has a standard of holy living for His people. Are you with me this morning? I can go right on. Am I going to tell you that taking an alcoholic drink is going to send you to hell? No, I'm not going to tell you that. But I'm going to tell you, why do you want to do it when people are looking up to you as an example of Jesus Christ? Why? Why do you want to do it? If you can't go without doing it, then you got a problem. If you got a problem, then it's definitely sin. Are you with me this morning? There is a standard of holy living for God's people. You cannot do anything you want to do and say it's okay because of grace and then take a place in a pulpit or a leadership ministry. God will not bless. But now that I've said that, let me say this. If you find yourself there, if you'll be man or woman enough, to bring it to the altar. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. And lay it down and say, God, I need your help with this. Because I do believe this. I believe there's people that don't want to drink, but they can't give it up because they can't get free from it. I believe there's people that don't want to be fornicators, but they can't give it up because they can't get free from it. I believe there's people that don't want to live in open sin, but they can't give it up because they can't get free from it. But the first step to help in any problem is admitting you have a problem. And when you admit that and get it to God, God will step in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. If you question, ask me. My word says my spirit will be a teacher unto you. Bring it to me. Give it to me, saith the Lord, and see if I will not let you walk in freedom. See if I will not remove it from you, but you must bring it to me, saith the Lord of hosts. Lift your hands all over this room. Father, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for the speaking of your word. We thank you that you are a deliverer and you set free. God, I pray this morning that we would bring those things to you, to the foot of the cross, and allow you to set us free. Hallelujah. We'll close with this. Paul said, but our citizenship is in heaven, verse 20. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even 
to subject all things to himself. But back up, back up to where he said, one thing I do. Verse 13, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forth to what is ahead. Listen, church, before we ever step into our future, we must first let go of our past. Individually and corporately. Before we ever step into the future, we must let go of our past. We spend far too much of our time focusing on what has been. Mm -hmm. Or what happened. Regardless of whether it was good or whether it was bad, guess what? It's over. I appreciate what happened in the old church days ago. But we got a generation of young people that need a move of God today. Whatever it happened, good or bad, it's over. You can't change it, but guess what else? It can't be repeated. It can't be repeated. God wants to do a new thing. We talked about that last week, but Paul said this. Stand with me all over the room. Paul said, I press. Say press this morning. Here's the thing about pressing. Pressing is not easy. It requires grit and determination. It requires energy and focus. It requires effort and exertion. During football practice, we got any football players in here this morning? Anybody that used to play football? Let me see your hands. I used to play football in football practice. When I was in middle school, I didn't play in high school. But one of the things that you learn in football practice really quick is that it's not how hard you hit the sled. It's how hard you push once you make contact. Are you with me? There is some importance in how hard you hit. But it's more important in how hard you push. See, I think sometimes God has something great for us and it's just a few feet ahead, but we're stuck right here looking at the past. Or maybe even the present. We bounce off of it from time to time. And we stare at it all the time. But our problem is we fail to press. I remember when we hit the sled, the goal was press it as far down the field as you could. That's the way it ought to be in our service to God. Matter of fact, on Serve Sunday, I'm going to preach a whole sermon on football. If you don't like football, please come. But for those of you that love football, I think you'll enjoy it. But when you hit it, press with all you got. I came to tell somebody this morning, it's time to get out of that rut that you're stuck in. I said, it's time to get out of that rut that you're stuck in. One thing you've got to do and it's the thing we all need to do. You've got to forget about what's behind you. You did this, that, and whatever, even last night. Might even have been last night. Might even have been this morning before you got here. Guess what? It does not matter. Don't try to wait until you can get it right to give it to God. If it's in the past, and if it happened more than a minute ago, it's in the past. If it's in the past, give it to God. And let it be in the past. Forget about what's behind you and look forward to what God has ahead of you. And press with everything you've got toward the mark. Why? Because I promise you, if you do, there's something better up ahead. There's something greater up ahead. There's victory up ahead. For some of you that need set free, there's deliverance up ahead. Keep pressing. The one thing the church must always remember is that we're better together. We need, say need. We need each other. If you're lost this afternoon, you need Jesus. But guess what? This church also needs you. This church, you may say, I'm lost. What does this church need with me? This church needs you. And you need Jesus. We each need to individually evaluate this morning, church, the one thing we lack, the one thing we need, the one thing we know, the one thing we ask, then we must realize the one thing we must do to receive everything that God has in store.